Now, the, the Lord sets the battlefield, and he gives us strength in the battlefield. And, and I want you to understand what happens. Yeah, the, the, the word the Lord gave me this morning is... I, he actually he gave me the I didn't have time because I just made this right before service, but what I wanted to do was kind of put a, a filter on the word freedom, you know, so it looked like it was masked a little bit, but you could still see it. Because freedom is not choice. Freedom is only produced by one thing. That's love. Love produces freedom. True love. What love really is produces freedom. True love produces true freedom. And true love breaks atmospheres. That's why, you know, that's why we will worship until the atmosphere is broken. If that takes 45 minutes, or if that takes two hours and 45 minutes, it doesn't matter. Because, see, until that atmosphere is broken, our minds are clouded with the warfare. What is warfare really? From the very beginning, what did God give up which we try to grasp and try to strive for in really every part of our lives. It's control, right? God gave up control over your life when he gave you free choice. When he gave you the right to choose your own control. Now, in reality, we think, okay, well, it's I control myself or I give my control to God. No, no. No, there are two choices, and neither one of them is you. <laughs> Understand that, because we live in a world far beyond our own four dimensions. And so what can come at us in the blind has effectiveness to come after us. So our choice of control is we give control to God, or we give control to Satan. Satan may let us think that we're having control. But really, God showed that love by saying, here you have choice. Now that choice is not just a single choice in your life where I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I've chosen Him, now I'll go live my life. And we, we know that. I mean, this is something that you know, I'm preaching in the choir here, right? But it's, it's something to understand that it goes well beyond that. It goes into every part of our life that permeates what we do, permeates the choices that we make. Why do you think in, in the scriptures Paul said that we develop the mind of Christ? Is it that we learn what his mind is like and we learn what his choices would be and we have this list of things that we're supposed to do so we could be like him and have a mind like him? No. It's not at all what it means. In fact, that's the religious spirit. Birthed out of that. What it literally is, is 
giving up control to him. See, when he was on earth, he said, I do nothing outside of what the Father has me do. He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What does that mean? That means his mind became the Father's mind. His choices, by his original choice, were not his own. They were the Father's. So the, father's, the Father could work through him in that purity of choice. Man, when you think about it, that had to be a tough decision to give free will to us. Especially knowing, I mean, if he didn't know what would happen, it would be easier to understand. I really hope that they choose me. But see, he knew. He knew what we would choose. And yet, for the sake of love, he still did it. He still gave us free will. And then you could come back and you could say, well, yeah, but he knew that there were some that were going to give them their full heart, so that's his reward. How do you think he feels about the people that don't? And, and in many levels, not just don't come to heaven, not just get their justification golden ticket so they could get there and not, not rot in hell, but those who don't say, Here's everything, I give it to you. You know, when we read Scripture, Scripture is never a halfway point of, I give God my halfway. Scripture never teaches that. All the examples that we see in there, Peter and Paul, and in fact, Peter, that's why he was sifted. Right? Because Satan said, wait a second, wait a second, if he's tested, I know he won't give you everything. So I demand in the court to sift him. That's when Jesus said to Peter, guess what, Peter? Satan has demanded to sift you, and he has a right to, but don't worry because I'm praying for you, and the Father told me it'll be okay. So Peter was sifted after he made this declarative statement that I will literally die with you. And at the same time, he then denied him, said, I don't even know him. This God that I will die for, now I don't even know him. See, Peter still had choice. And it wasn't that God needed him to no longer have choice. He needed him to choose him. Even in the difficult moments, choose Him. By faith, choose Him. By faith, when you're working in your day and, and something's going wrong and things are coming against you, He wants you to choose Him. I don't know about you, but if you're having a really rough day, just a really rough day, and, and you tend to want to kind of wallow in that, you go inward and, you know, I, I, I just let me feel bad a minute. And we begin to wallow in ourselves. Some of the hardest things to do at that point are say, God, I need you. God, I need to focus on you. Because I'm tired of controlling this myself. I need you to control this. 
Lord, if I, if I have your mind, then I don't have to worry about this decision making. So I give you my mind. But what we oftentimes don't understand is that's a process, guys. I mean, we know at 12, Jesus was in the synagogue preaching, teaching, talking, right? At 12, we know he knew who his father was. So why do you think God didn't start his ministry right then? Why did he wait, what, 18 years later? It's because even Jesus had to prove out his choice to the Father, to have the Father's mind. If you don't believe me, we'll look at it here in a second. In Galatians 5. See, Jesus was subject to judgment, just as we are. When he became a man, he was placed under that same judgment eye that we are. He had to learn obedience, the Bible says. He had to learn by faith who he was. He had to learn by faith to give his yes to his Father. Now the difference is, he did it without sin. There was no sin found in him. But just because there was no sin, don't assume that he didn't have to learn it. Because he did. The Bible said he did. So why do we think that that process should be any shorter for us? Who do have this sinful carcass, right? We have sin in our flesh. Because we're born into that. He was not. But yet we, we think that things should get better quickly or, 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 you know, okay, well, you know, I've been doing this Christian thing now for five years. You would think my mind would be Christ by now. Well, let me tell you, I've been doing it for 47 years. And it takes a yes every day. It takes a waking up every morning and saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want. My mind is yours. My choices are yours. And in a family atmosphere, it means coming together and fighting for each other. See, just like this morning, when you were fighting, right? this family came around, worshipped. But you know, they, they were fighting for you, but they were fighting for themselves. They were fighting for, for God to have control instead of something else having control. Control is just a really, mm, it's just a really difficult choice that each of us have to face every day, all the time. Do we give our control to him? Or do we keep little bits back for ourselves? Do we trust him that he has this? I'm telling you, church, we need to do this as a church. Because even though I, I know in most cases I'm preaching to the choir here, but there is a time coming where the unity of this church will be tested. When we have people around us that need us to fight for them, just like we did this morning, but yet we will not be in the majority. 
Does that make sense? You've got to give him complete control and trust and faith. And no, it's not also a worrisome thing. Man, I would, if you think about it logically, if he's in control and it goes a certain way, okay, well, that's not on you. It's just like when, if if you're given the gift of prophecy and, and, and it's a difficult word for somebody, okay? Oh, Lord, I don't want to tell them this difficult word. But then you do, and you have the courage to do it. That's not on you. How they receive it is not on you. How you give the word, that's on you. If you're giving the Father's word, if you're giving his words how he wants you to do it, then it's no longer on you. See, do you understand? It's no different with anything else that we do. When we come here and we worship together, your whole job is to give him everything of who you are. It's not just the praise team's job to worship. It's the praise team's job to try and keep us all on key. (laughs) Some of us, that's a little difficult to do. Right? It's all of our jobs to worship. It's all of our jobs in unity to come together and break through these atmospheres. And guys, the reason we're talking about this right now is because of what's coming. See, you think in here, you know, we got this. We got this. Warfare, boom, worship, breakthrough, everything. Awesome, let's preach. We'll go and just go to lunch. Okay, but here's what's about to happen. When we have hundreds and hundreds and even thousands that don't understand that breakthrough. That we're fighting for that same atmosphere. See, that can be intimidating if you're not ready for it. Not to single you out, Corey, but are you going to yell when there's 5,000 people down in Nigeria? Now, I mean, that's almost a... I don't need to even ask that. (laughs) Yes! Yes! (laughs) But here's the thing. What we do and what we know to work right here in in this controlled atmosphere, if you will, that same thing can work in the IDP camp with 20,000 people. That same thing can work when the Holy Spirit falls and Newark is flooded by people coming here because of the Holy Spirit not understanding what's going on. Do you understand that atmosphere that they're going to bring in needs to be fought? And the only way we can do that is right there. Love. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Lord has had me in Galatians. <laughs> oh, goodness, I've gone through this book, I mean, so many times before now, but in the last two weeks, I think I've, I've read the book probably 25, 30 times, but I've gone through it many times. And he's just uncovering things about what this means, and it's just... It's extraordinary. Let's start just at verse 1. 
I don't know how far we're going to get into this. It's whatever he wants. But Father, we pray that your will be done, Father. You know I've already given you my mouth. I've given you every, every piece of me, Father. But in this place, Lord, I ask that you look at the hearts of those that just completely want you. We offer that as payment for this atmosphere. We offer that as payment for your word to flow because we desire to receive. So, Father, do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, now, let me just say this right off the bat. First of all, Galatians, what Paul's talking about here in, in the reference of what he's sending this letter is the religious spirit. It is the law versus grace. Okay? But if that's all you're going to label it as, you're going to miss everything he has for you here. Because the yoke of slavery is on anything that God does not control. Any piece of your life that you control, that you feel like you have a handle on, that is not really God's handle, is a yoke of slavery. Even before we were saved, what were we slaves to? Sin. Right? We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to this this fallen body. Okay? So when we gave Him our yes, first of all, when we received Him into our heart, He gave us this permission slip. That said, hey, you no longer have to be a slave to sin. Because Jesus purchased you. Does that mean that when you're saved, you are never a slave anymore? Well, no. I mean, if you think that, we need to sit down and talk. Because we're slaves to so many things, but now it's by choice. It's kind of like you take the permission slip to get out of... Get out of slavery. You put it in your back pocket and you said, well, I'll pull it out when I need it. When in reality, it's supposed to cover everything in your life. So that yoke of slavery is anything that we desire to control. Verse 2. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, which was the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Let me point something out here. Very important. This is not losing your salvation. When you choose to live by the law, when you have accepted Christ into your heart, you're just choosing control. You have not lost your salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 said that when you accepted Jesus, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by the promise that would stay with you, sealing you until you receive your inheritance, which was eternal life. So they're not losing that. What are they losing? It says it right here. 
You have fallen away from grace. You have fallen away from the very joy, the very hope, the very faith that you said yes to in the first place. So this was a group of people that, that had accepted Christ into their heart and loved him freely. And then some people came into the church getting them to go back to the law. They didn't lose their salvation. That's very important to understand right now. That this entire book is talking to Christians. Talking to people that are saved. If you don't get that, you're not going to understand the difference. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I've read that verse a thousand times. And it never hit me so heavy as it did this week. What is the hope of righteousness? Do you know as you walk in Christ, as you give Him your yes, as His mind begins to become yours, that is walking out the righteousness of Christ. Right? Not, not that we get to a point where we don't sin. That's not what I mean. We will always, until we receive our glorified body, at the very least, we will always be in sinful flesh. That's just a fact of life. We have this fallen flesh until we receive our glorified body. But to walk in righteousness is to walk in His presence and His control fully in your life. See, you look at some of these lives. You look at the life of Paul. And, and you look and you think, wow, you know, I mean, there might be a few inferences where, where I could see maybe he sinned, and, but I, I don't really see any. You can look at that in, in other people as well. Do they sin? Of course. It's not my point. But my point is they walk in a righteousness in Christ because Christ has control of everything that they are. That's the hope of righteousness. That's the hope that if we continue giving our yes, the hope is that He will take control of every part of us. And we walk in that righteousness. What does it mean to walk in that righteousness? Well, it means not ever having to battle God's will versus your will. Because if you give, if you truly give Him control, then your desire, your hope, becomes what he wants. How else do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would walk into that fiery furnace? How else do you think Daniel would walk into that lion's den? How else do you think Peter, and for that matter, all of the apostles except John, walked into their final death? They all were martyrs. Except for John. John's the only one that died of old age. How do you think they walked into that with the peace knowing they were about to die? It's because they had given control. They had the mind of Christ. How do you, you know, one of the most amazing, amazing examples of this is Stephen. I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather die a thousand different ways than to be stoned. 
You know, I mean, really, that's just painful until you finally get the ending blow, I guess. And, and so Stephen, who was stoned for his love of Jesus, just said, okay. He just sat there. And the scripture says that the heavens opened up. And because he gave his control to Jesus, I honestly don't think he even felt it. I really don't. We can ask him when we get there, but I really don't. He was so in tune with seeing what God had opened up in the heavens that it didn't matter. He had given God control. And, and by the way, that was a that was a short life, right? That that happened pretty quickly. That wasn't like Paul after years and years and years. So giving control is giving control of whatever time you have, whatever he has you do in this life. And we wait for that hope of his righteousness to be filled in us. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And I want you to get this phrase, but only faith working through love. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty bold statement because, first of all, love can only work through you if you have faith. Human love is not love. Human love is control. You see it all the time. You see it in marriages. You see it in other relationships. Human love is controlling so we get along. Oh, and I, I love that we get along, and I love this person, and there may be aspects of love in there. But what this is talking about is giving your control to God so your love can be pure. I don't know how this works, but I think this affects everybody. I know for me it used to be this way so much more, and, and this was one of the things God had to break in me before he could before he could really do in me what he wanted to. And it was, it was this idea of loving people. I was okay with loving people that I loved, <laughs> right? I mean, people that you enjoy, people that you, you uh, have something in common with, it's easy to love them. Or we'll use quote-unquote love, right? Because I could control how that works. Or at least I could control my own feelings. You know, the first idea of not being able to control is when you get married. You know, try to control that one forever. Good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> right? That's why God said that marriage is a picture of the relationship between the bride and Jesus. Because it's about us giving him control. But that love that he had to work in me was to teach me how to love people that I wouldn't normally love. Or wouldn't even normally like. Wouldn't normally want to be around. Do we do that in our lives? I, I, I think if you take a moment and you think in your life right now, I think each of us can think of somebody they'd rather not be around. And that 
it's really difficult to love that person or those people. So does love not include that? No, it especially includes that. And that's the tough part. But only faith working through love. Go down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, this idea of reaching out, of fighting together. That's why when somebody has difficulty here, we fight. Right? That's why that needs to carry over when there are thousands. Because the premise is no different. Right? When we have somebody there that's struggling, we fight for them. Fighting is just giving him control. Fighting is, is just breaking through the atmosphere so he could have his way. Let's go down to verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This gets into this. I'm going to read this, the rest of this chapter here. It gets into some real tough things. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You know what, before, before I go on, let me, let me talk about that for a second, because many of us come from legalism, right? And you think of, well, that's the law. That's, legalism is the law, and you know, now we live by grace. And, but do you understand that legalism, or the law, is anything that you want to control? See, that's what the law was. That's why Jesus, that's why the Father brought the law in the first place. It was so we would understand that we cannot measure up to the law. It was to show that we had a need for a Messiah. That's why there was the law. And so when it says going back to the law, it's not just talking about going back to this this list of things like, again, what we think of as legalism, or in their case, going back to the, the Levitical sacrifices. It's literally going back to anything that you control in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about it. Well, I go to church on Sunday. I go to Tuesday night. I go to Thursday night. I'll go every other Saturday to the gifts meeting. You know, I'm on the prayer call four times a week. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing my God thing. That should be good. I'm doing my God thing, so, so Lord, I should have... The, the benefits, I should have the, the blessings. I should be able to get through life without these problems. And the whole time God's saying, it's got nothing to do with what you're doing. It's got to do with the way and the reason you're doing it. 
It's awesome that you come on a Sunday morning. But if you're not here because you want God to pour into you everything that he wants to pour into you, then you're trying to control something. That's what he's talking about when he talks about the law. The more you control, the more you fall out of grace of Christ's control. Because there's only so much control. Right? It's either one or the other. You give control, or you try to hold on to control. So the more that we try to hold on to control... The reason why grace slips through our fingers is because that's Jesus standing there saying, I can't make a choice for you. I can't help in this. So let's go on. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to stop there for a second. Remember when I said earlier, it's important to understand he's talking to Christians. Okay, what he's saying here is... That these things, these things that we give control of our lives to, these sins, if we do those, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not saying you will lose your salvation. It's not saying you will not no longer be justified in Christ. He is talking to Christians. What he's saying is you will not be in relationship with me. And we've talked about this before, that this... This whole idea of rewards in the afterlife, that, are, that in eternity, that are eternal rewards, they, they do bring a separation of, of understanding between people. And I, I, I could say it this way. If you think each Christian will have the same eternal experience, you're mistaken, sorely mistaken. The Bible does not teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite of that. Because it gives us the opportunity for relationship. See, if that were the case, then I could just accept Jesus Christ into my heart and then choose to live how I want to live. It won't matter. I mean, I, I might have to reap the benefits of my own choices here on earth. But it shouldn't matter because I'm good. I'm saved. Do you think that's what God created you for? He created you for relationship. He literally created and gave you choice so you can choose to love him. If you don't believe me, just look at even the disciples. Right? And I'm not talking about God playing favorites. God doesn't play favorites. But he allows close the people who press into him. Just like Peter and John pressed into him. And he allowed them to press into him. John was known as the disciple who loved the Lord. Why weren't they all? 
known as the one who loved the Lord. I, I don't understand that, except to understand that John pressed in. John pressed into him. Peter pressed into him. It's no different for you and me. He wants us to press into him. And in doing that, we choose love. Because that's the only way we can do it. We choose that. And when we choose love, we choose his grace. So verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And by the way, you know what? Let me look that up. That word there. That word there, I'm not even going to be now, begin to pronounce that, but, but what it means is temperance. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions and literally gives them to the Lord. Right? It is self-control, giving control to the God that we are building that relationship with. But here, here's the thing, and, and we use this all the time, because, and, and you ought to highlight this if you haven't already, but understanding these fruits, this is the fruit of relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, that's a barometer that we could look in our lives and see where we're at in relationship with him. So if you look at those things, and there are times in your life where, where we do not have this, or I do not have this, then you can go back and say, okay, I know you promised this to me. So what am I holding on to that I shouldn't be? What am I trying to control that you want to control? And it all goes to that idea of love. Right? Remember what he said. Uh, let's see. What was it again? Back... Uh, Back in verse 6, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then down in verse 14, he said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this whole thing stems around love. So if we spent our whole lives doing one thing, it would have to be to understand what love is. And how that love is to be directed in that relationship with, with the Lord. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. This chapter talks about what love is. 
Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just blowing air. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. That's a bold statement. Think about that. All these things that we deem as so great, but if it's not accompanied with love, literally said, I am nothing. Verse 3, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That means whatever sacrifice you make for friends, for family, for God, if you are not making that sacrifice out of love, you are gaining nothing. Right? Because then it's the religious spirit. Let's look at what love is. Verse 4. Love is patient. Oh, well, just messed me up right at the beginning. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Boy, I remember patience was not a good one for me. That one in... Yeah, there, there's a couple that were difficult for me, but patience was, was really, really a tough one for me. Because you ever work with somebody that drives you insane? Michael, you're not allowed to laugh. <laughs> I think we need to have an intervention. <laughs> no, but you ever work with somebody that's like, like, Lord, seriously, can you just get him out of my life? I mean, give them to somebody else who, who has patience. <laughs> and he's like, okay, but you wanted to be close to me. I need you to have patience if you're going to be close to me. But all of us have those people. And, and sometimes those people are close to us. Other times, they're people we work with. It could even be the person that, that's at the Wawa that you stop at every day for coffee. It's like, oh, please don't have that person at the counter today. Guess what? They're going to be at the counter. Why? Because patience is a key to love. If you're not married yet, then you don't understand that quite as much. But once you get married, you'll understand patience is a virtue. It's a virtue that you need to purchase more of. Invest in patience. It will save you a lifetime of grief. And I say that for my wife's sake, because she has had to be patient with me. I won't even go into that. It'll just bring up bad memories for her. She'll say, Lord, please. Okay. Love is patient. Let's talk about patience. No, I'm kidding. We just did that. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love doesn't look elsewhere and say, man, I... I I wish I had that. I envy what they have. See, if you love that person, you're thankful for what they have. And, and by the way, you're, you're just joyful for what God has given you. Love doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Yeah, I mess up there too. <laughs> That, that's, that's another tough one sometimes, like, you know, on the road. 
You know, by the way, if you're going to get angry with people when you're driving, honk at them and all that, don't put a bumper sticker on your car that says, I love Jesus. You know, just, I, please, please don't. But seriously, though, it's not rude. Oh, here's a tough one. It does not insist on its own way. I was doing pretty good up to that point, right? <laughs> okay. I'm batting five for five here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I will have to be patient for Beth. Um, or just choose not to love her. I don't know. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. Does not insist on its own way. What does that mean? That means when when you are, and, and this is, Oh, this, this is another good one for me. Marriage has just so many of these. So, so does raising a family. Um, when, when, I can't say that. It would embarrass her. But, uh, when you have a child that is going through, I love you, Brooke. I love you. I love you. No, I, I won't do that, but, <laughs> I won't use a specific example of Brooke. No, I'm kidding. But when you see something in somebody else that God wants to be different, let me use a best friend. There's a good example. We all have best friends, right? That we see things in them. Oh, man, if you would just change this, your life would be so much better. You know. And what we try to do sometimes is we try to control that. Well, okay, let me think of a way that I can manipulate the, the circumstance into them having to make that choice again, and then I'll urge them to make that choice. Say, I mean, really, honestly, marriage is, is a great example of that. You know, we, we try to do that, and that's our way of, of controlling or manipulating the situation. Instead of just saying, I love them. I love them. That I know that's not the best thing for them. And I'm going to love them no matter what. And I'm going to I'm going to fight just like we did during worship today. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight the atmosphere that they're in making this decision. You know, that's that's love. Because it'd be so much easier to just dive in and say, "What are you stupid?" You know, look at this. Now, not that that isn't good sometimes, too, but, you know. <laughs> I, I won't go there. Alexis had to do that to me a few times. Like, seriously, Greg, do you not see? Yeah, okay. And that's love, too. But love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. In our marriage, we call it prickly. You know, you're prickly today. Why are you prickly, Greg? What's on you? Go deal with it. Because you're being irritable, prickly. Or resentful. Resentful is one of the most wasteful emotions there is. To be resentful, especially resentful towards something where the other person's totally gone. It's like they're... You're not even getting them back with anything. You're just destroying yourself because you're being resentful. 
Now, what is the antithesis to that? It's loving that person. Ooh, yeah, that's tough. I'd rather be resentful. Resentful is easier because then I can wallow in my own feelings. But I'm just, I'm not telling you how to get to this. I'm telling you what it is. Because the Bible said, this is love. Love is not resentful. If you love, if you claim to love somebody, you cannot be resentful in that situation. Otherwise, it's not love. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Okay, that one's pretty easy. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures things. You know, sometimes the battles that we have in love, they're not overnight battles. Sometimes the battles we have will last a lifetime. You know, you ever pray for somebody in your family to receive Christ and you love them and you pray your your whole life. I I, I know that, you know, I've, I've heard stories of people praying for 50, 60 years and then finally you know, the, that person, whether it be a, a relative or whatever, accepts the Lord. They loved them. No matter what the reaction was, no matter how they were treated, it, the love bared all the onslaught from that person against them their whole life. It endured that. Love endured through that and kept fighting, kept praying, kept loving and love endured it. It says love never ends. Do you know it makes sense that God is love? Through to God's core, everything that he is, is love. See, and the purity of love demands these things. That's why it's so extraordinary to recognize that love demanded that God gave us choice. Wow. I mean, honestly, God's choice would have been to create us or not. But see, love also demanded fellowship. So see, God, by the virtue of who He is, love demanded the reception of love. Does that make sense? That's why he gives us relationship so that we can have love for him. He can receive the very love that he gives out. If it's not that, then what's in it for him? I mean, he gave his son. Jesus came and gave his, his status as God. He became a man. He said, he said that he, he had every right to stay as his status as God, but he humbled himself and became a man. It was by choice. It was because of love. The love inside him demanded that. And he is love. So if we are to become Christ's mind in us, and we're not focused on love, then we're missing something. Now don't 
confuse love with, and this could be really controversial, but here I go, honey. Don't confuse love with tolerance. Okay, because there is a tolerance of sin that is not love. In fact, that is the opposite of love. See, Christ could not tolerate sin. When he went into the the synagogue and he saw the money changers, he didn't go up to him, hey guys, can you put this away? You know, this isn't the best place for it. Just take it right around the corner. We'll be good. Hey, hey, go on out there and I'll buy something from you. That's not what he did. Yeah, he went in there and God's righteousness... Remember what it said in Galatians 5, the hope of righteousness. Walking in his righteousness, he had the Father's mind, and the Father was like, get it out of there. See, we are not to have a tolerance for sin. We're not to have a tolerance, especially in this country, for things that bring sin down upon this country. The abortion has done that. And it's the pulpits that have turned their eyes from that righteousness that have allowed it to happen. It just boils me. 60 million babies plus. But you know what? That's not only sin. That was a result of turning our eyes away from God. And it started before that. It started with taking prayer out of schools. It started with this idea, this insane idea that the pulpit or the church does not have a right to have a voice in this country. And that is flat wrong. Do you... You understand me? That it's flat wrong. And that's going to change. That's not what our forefathers wanted. Our forefathers came from England to get away from suppression in religion. Where the, the, the king there was telling them what to believe. And they came to a free country had developed this free country were given literally given a free country by God so they could worship God freely and not be told what to do it was never to say that a government would be set up and you can't have any part in it see we got it all screwed up here in America and I thank God I thank God that we live in a time where He is making that change. And He is. You watch. You watch what happens in the next 60 days. You watch. It's going to turn this government upside down in many, many ways. And it's going to begin a cycle of churning. God has started the tiller. And he's going over this country. And he's going to till up the soil. It's going to expose the junk that they can, can be gotten rid of. So good seed can be planted. 
That's what he's doing because this country was intended to follow him. He will follow through with that. If you don't believe me, just give it a moment. You'll see it. And then you'll believe me. But you watch what God does. You watch what God does when his church just says yes, no matter what. My hands are yours. My feet are yours. My mouth is yours. I don't care the cost. Why should it be any different than the disciples? After Pentecost, they became the apostles. They didn't care the cost. It didn't matter. If anything, it was, it was a reward to them. And by the way, you know, that's what Scripture says. Even if it is unto death, one of the greatest rewards is martyrdom. Why don't we think that way anymore? I don't, I don't understand that. But yet there are people in this world that do. There are almost a thousand Christians within 100 miles of where we do our work in Nigeria that gave their lives last year because of being Christians. And you know what? The world doesn't know about it. The world doesn't even know. I think they know parts of it. I was reading a study two weeks ago that it it listed all the Christians killed in the world for being Christians were like 3,200. And I'm thinking, okay, either they don't have the numbers of the Christians in Benway, or Benway is over 30%, or almost 30% of that. See, people are giving their lives for Christ. And we sit here as a nation that is supposed to be Christ's. It was set up that way. And we're not willing to give anything. Even as Christians, many times we're not willing to get out and vote. Seriously. You know, I went to my daughter's. She had a... I don't know, what was that? A musical. Yeah. Um, they had been working on it all year, and it was awesome. It was so awesome. We're, we're watching this, and I know Ivani did a great job. I remembered it. I was there. It was awesome, though. You know, all, all, the, all the fifth grade, and they're doing all their things and everything else, and I'll tell you what I had a hard time with, though. I had a hard time thinking about those kids in IVB camp. This, their parents, sorry, they won't get to watch that. They won't get to even watch them eat because they don't have food. And I kept thinking, our responsibility is to that. This country's responsibility, but not just to give money. This country's responsibility is to say yes to Jesus Christ so he can fix that. And that's what he's going to do. 
But it's got to come from our yes. It's got to come from us saying, you take control, you do whatever you want. I will open my voice. It doesn't matter the cost. And you know what? The pulpits are rising up. And they are beginning to do that. They might be in a living room. There might be a thousand of us in a living room somewhere. And nobody even knows our voice. Nobody even hears us, but God does. God does. And God will bring this nation back. Not for the sake of us being comfortable. We're already comfortable. It's for the sake of us leading how we should lead. We lead in Jesus Christ. And we give him our yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. God, just teach us love. Teach us love. Teach us what it is to let you flow through us so purely that that love that we see through your eyes and those people that would irritate us or those people that we would not normally pour into, we see them through your eyes and we just pour. We pour you out because we've been so filled with you. God, help the bride to not be selfish. Help this church to not be selfish of what you've given it. You have met us in this place. You have brought favor down upon this church. But it's not to stay within these walls, Father. It is to go out from these walls. And we say yes to you, God. God, I pray for all those others all over the world that you're doing the same thing in. Bring them together. Bring us together in force, Father. Bring us together in love. Because your love is extraordinary. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good word, powerful. Um, I love messages on the word, I mean, on, on, from the word on love. And um, one thing the Lord hit me with that I'll just say before, we, before I give announcements is 1 Corinthians 13 is, of course, the wedding chapter that's often quoted at weddings. And what's happened to the word love in this nation, in our society today is it's literally kind of disintegrated down and, and then kind of been reshaped in a, in a deformed way where we don't understand what it, what it is, what it looks like, how it manifests in our day-to-day lives. And the Lord just really encouraged me to, to just say this as an addition to really what Greg already said, which is we need the Holy Spirit to teach us, even in the list of Galatians, what that is and not lean on our own understanding. Yeah. Even with the list of what it looks like that it is and what it looks like that it's not, you need the Holy Spirit to discern what that love looks like. It, love doesn't, it isn't compromise. It isn't a boundary list where, where uh, someone with the gift of mercy is indulgent in giving in all the time out of what they think is love, but it's not love. Sometimes love is strong. Sometimes love is firm. Sometimes love is even hard. 
in the example that he gave about Jesus. So remember that this human logic and reasoning is the opposite. It's mutually incompatible with faith. And it takes faith to walk in that love, which is exactly what was shared. I mean, the Galatians scripture and the 1 Corinthians 13 scripture just are beautifully linked in this word that the Lord gave Greg this morning because we, we have to have that faith in the Holy Spirit to understand how to walk in love because we look at love as sometimes this big picture, you know, like the beauty pageant, you know, uh, well, what do you want to see? Oh, I just want world peace and I just want love for all. You know, it becomes some abstract thing, but what does it look like every single day? Like he said, with the Wawa person, whatever, but the greatest test I find is what the Lord's showing me in the closest part of my life. What does love look like in the people closest to me? He mentioned our marriage. And, and then beyond. Some people are great at loving on a broad scale, but when it comes right down to it, they don't understand how to manifest actual true love in little ways every single day. And that is what ultimately... It's, it's the small things that accumulate to the effect of the big things. Sometimes we, again, put the cart before the horse. We have this broad love. And, oh, I love, I love everybody, I love everybody. And yet we can't tolerate or deal with many things close to us in the right way. Or we think we're dealing with it by giving in, giving in, giving in, no boundaries, until we crack. Then we have an outburst and we confess it as sin. You know, and it becomes this vicious cycle. So the love of God has to be illuminated through his spirit's wisdom and revelation. It cannot be reasoned by our own understanding, or we're going to get it wrong every time. And the most significant thing that I think you said was at the very beginning, what is about to happen with the falling of the Holy Spirit, with the additional people that we will be in proximity to, that, if that love, if we're not rooted and grounded in the Ephesians 3, you know, 18 through 20 verses, in, in experiencing the fullness of God, when we are faced with an additional level of fighting for someone's freedom, we, it, it will uh, shake us, perhaps in some cases even crack us and break us. If we don't know for ourselves, if we're relying on community and this love that's kind of here in our minds, rather than walking in with the fullness of the love of God established in our own lives, Remember, we bring the presence of God to these services as kingdom carriers because the Holy Spirit's in us. And so if we look at it the opposite, then when it comes into these warfare cases and, and to really loving or somebody that, let's say we're fighting for one person that we know, and then the person that we believe something is flowing through or who's disrupting the person who we're fighting for, what does love look like for them, for that person? So you've got to understand love fully. Otherwise, you selectively fight for people based on your human experience with them. And so we have to really be guided by the Spirit in these things in order for love to bring freedom, which is, of course, you know, what was on the screen the whole time. So I, I'm just, um, I've said this like a million times, but this is just another message worth listening to again. And, and just um, dig into these scriptures. Galatians, like he said, it, the Lord actually led Greg to go over the entire book of Galatians over and over again. And even if you end up memorizing something and you feel like cause at, the, at the point of memorized, you know, when there's a scripture that's memorized, sometimes our human brain says, that's all there is to know. 
because it's in there. But that's not the ways of the Spirit. The Scripture is just deep and deep and deep. And we were saying this morning downstairs, it's the Spirit of God that searches the deep things. And so sometimes the most familiar scriptures, when you just ruminate on it, you chew on it, the Lord can highlight one word, and it might be a the, or an if, or, you know, it could be something so small that will literally unlock truth in that same scripture that we know. Spend some time. God just loves, he loves to speak in a multitude of ways, but he loves to speak through his word, because he wants us to be grounded in it. And when it comes to love, we cannot afford to be having the world's definition and view of love as our filter it has to be a holy spirit filter or we will get love wrong and uh, for many of you here love comes easy to you in in a general sense it comes easy to you because of your wonderful personality and you might feel like okay you know i've love is just now i got issues but love just isn't one of them take a deeper look you'll be surprised that the issues you know that you have are linked to what you think you have yeah. So love is just the, it's the core of everything. It's, it's God's, you know, and, and everything we talked about in the courts yesterday, as much as salvation is a love offering, a love gift, the freedom in the courts is a love gift yeah. to the bride. And uh, everything is about entering into more love. So praise God for that. And uh, thank you. Thank you for that great word. I knew God had the something crazy awesome. Because we were actually thinking of continuing the courts training. And I just didn't feel in my spirit we were going to team teach the, the courts this morning. I just didn't feel like that was what God had. And clearly that was confirmed. Praise God. So he's so good.